0: You are listening to The Hospice Chaplaincy Show, a show where we talk about psychospiritual and psychosocial aspects of end-of-life care. And now, here's your host, Saul.
1: Thank you very much for joining us on this episode of The Hospice Chaplaincy Show. I'm Saul Alabama And today I have a special guest for us. Uh, she's a death and grief doula, and she's also the founder of Our Dying Day. Janelle Binoska. welcome to the show.
2: Thank you for having me. It's great to be here.
1: Uh, can you give our listeners a little background? Where did you grow up?
2: Well, I grew up in Carroll Stream, Illinois, and um, lived here most of my life, here in, in the Chicagoland area. Um, after my husband and I got married, we did live out in San Diego for four years, and then in Nashville for five years, um, both uh transition definitely shaped both of our lives in terms of getting into the world of um, death care. Uh, and then ultimately, we decided to come back to the Chicagoland area. Um, and we've been here for back here for about eight years.
1: So you currently work as a death and grief doula. Could you define uh, what is a death doula?
2: Yeah. So I think the easiest way for me to help people wrap their brains around this is um, you know, many folks are familiar at this point with what a birth doula does and what a birth doula does is to help navigate the process for a birthing person. So they serve as an advocate in conversations between um, whatever the birthing person is pursuing in terms of their medical care. Um, they serve as a direct line of support to a birthing person and also to the family that's surrounding that individual as well as they go through that major transition of welcoming new life into the world so a death doula and a grief doula essentially serves in the same role just at the other end of the spectrum right so advocating for the dying person um helping them plan their final wishes helping them wrap up you know their their loose ends in terms of Oh, the lot of checks and boxes that, you know, need to happen. Um, Planning for their own funeral services, um, envisioning what their own good death could be, you know, with a birthing person, a lot of times they'll come up with a birth plan of how they want to experience birth. Same thing with death and dying. Um, And then the grief doula part of it comes in too with the people who are left after the person has passed away. Yeah. and supporting them in their grieving process.
1: Yeah. I find that people who work in this kind of business have a special reason why they do what they do. So what made you to begin to work as a death and grief doula?
2: Well, there's many significant things that that led to this path for me, but a couple cornerstone moments in my life. One is that I am married to a funeral director and getting to witness what he does and be a support for him as he works in the deaf care industry really opened my eyes to how deeply meaningful this work is. Um, I have a a background in holistic health. I've done massage therapy. I've done um, a lot of nonprofit work. I've had my own nonprofit doing massage and nurturing touch services for the elderly. So I have kind of an affinity for for service work. Um, And so seeing what my husband does and figuring out what my offering could be in that space was definitely pivotal. I also had a moment, um, a dear friend of mine, my best friend actually lost her husband very suddenly. It'll be three years in September since he's passed. And she Enlisted the support of a grief doula after he had died. And it wasn't something that I was very familiar with until I saw her going through that process. And it was eye opening. It was truly, truly eye opening to see in what ways that individual could support her and learn more about all of the ways that a death and grief doula can support individuals um, going through the death and dying process and then. The grieving process as
1: well. If you've been listening to the Hospice Chaplaincy Show for a while, we interviewed Janelle's husband, Jim Benuska. Uh, I think it was in April 2020, uh, yeah. at the height of the pandemic as a funeral director to talk about how the pandemic was affecting his work. Your work as a death and grief doula, how does it relate to your husband's work, or do you guys work together at the funeral home?
2: We don't currently work together at the funeral home. Um, ideally this would be a beautiful next step for us. And I think the ultimate goal is to have a full service death care offering where we are supporting individuals top to bottom. I think something that's very interesting about death and grief doula work, just like with birthing, you know, doula work. It exists to help fill the gaps. And I know, you know, your show obviously focuses a lot on hospice. Even with hospice, there are still gaps in what we can offer in ways we can support people. And I see that in the funeral industry as well. When my husband sits and makes arrangements with people, he has the list of information that he needs to get to be able to successfully do his job, which includes a lot of brass tacks things that isn't the love language part of it right yeah. it's the it's the filing of the death certificate it's the preparing of the body it's the it's the things that need to get done but there's all these very important spaces that because he has to get those things done he has a little bit less time and capacity to support and be that bridge in these other areas so that's my very long way of saying what would be a beautiful vision is if death and grief doulas could work in the funeral home to help support in those other ways that funeral directors can't to work with hospice organizations to step in and be a bridge and help in ways, you know, to, to fill those gaps. Um, so we don't currently work together, but that is the ultimate vision. (laughs) And, um, I know I mentioned, you know, in, in our conversation before we started recording that some of the challenges there is that there is still a lot of traditional mindset in the funeral care industry. If the same thing happened when cremation started becoming a thing, until there was a market demand for it, until people were going to funeral homes and saying on their own behalf we want this service, it took a long time for funeral homes to come around to that change in the industry. And I have no doubt that it's going to be the same with, with death and grief doula work.
1: You know, what I like about you is you're fully invested in this, you know, end of life care. You also do death cafes regularly. How is that going?
2: Oh, Saul, it is the highlight of my months that I usually offer two to three a month, a couple virtual, one in person. And it's really interesting because people always say, how how do you, what is Death Cafe? And it's one of these things that you kind of have to just experience it to fully understand. Um, but it is an open, safe, supportive environment to come and talk about anything related to death and dying. And people come with a myriad of things on their mind. And what ends up actually happening is that our conversation becomes more life affirming than anything else. In other words, it's Death Cafe because we want to break down the stigma of death and dying. Death Cafe is, um, I should back up and say, Death Cafe is a global organization. So there are Death Cafes going on all across the globe, bringing people together to have open conversation about death and dying, to destigmatize the topic. So, we get individuals that come to the cafe space with questions. Uh, you know, they're looking at their own mortality. Maybe they have fears. Maybe they are uh, dealing with a end of you know end stage diagnosis. We have people that come that want to kind of investigate a little bit more of the the planning and the things that go along with that. What do I really need to figure out as I, you know, put together a will or things like that? There are people who come because they're grieving and I will say one of the things that I would say breaks my heart open the most about the death cafe space is the amount of people that come because they are still grieving and no longer feel like they can take their grief to their friends and family. We have a really significant deficit in our society for our capacity to sit with tough emotions. And we're a very productive mindset. Of a of a culture and a society, and I think, I I I think people think you need to wrap it up and move on with your life. You get your bereavement leave, you cry, you have the funeral, you get over it. Life goes on, and that is true. But what is also true is that that person has died, and they have left people behind that are grieving. And so, when we have death cafe spaces and people can come and sit with strangers all, strangers, and openly share their grief and be seen and held and supported, like I said, that's the part that really cracks my heart wide open.
1: Yeah. I like that you've given the reason why people come to death cafes. I'm curious about the demographic. What is the age group?
2: All across the board. We get individuals in their 20s who have a curiosity we get individuals in midlife who are starting to realize we're not as young as we once were and what does the future look like? We get individuals who are in the elder stages of life. One of the things I love is that, at least in the cafe spaces that I've facilitated, many of the elders come not only with their own curiosities or their own experiences, but somehow in the conversation, they also are really able to serve in that elder capacity, where even if they've come to be supported, suddenly they're the ones naturally doing more of the supporting because of their eldership. And that's kind of a beautiful thing that that happens very organically.
1: So how has working in death care changed your perspective on life and death?
2: I am very much less fearful of it than I ever was. A lot of what we talk about in the cafe space and a lot of what I experience in working with individuals as a death and grief doula is this the deep spiritual component of an individual's view of their own mortality. It's a big topic the what happens next and where do we go from here? And it really puts the lived experience in check about what does this all mean and what am I doing while I'm here and what do I truly believe? And so for me, it's really helped me hone in on that for myself and thereby have become much less fearful of transitioning um, away from this, this physical body.
1: With that, we'll take a little break. Again, our guest is Janelle Binoska. She's a death and grief doula and also the founder of Our Dying Day. We'll be right back. Continuing to be a leader in the field of spiritual care at the end of life, Hospice Chaplaincy provides high-quality professional development webinars that will improve your practice of spiritual care at the end of life. Check out our latest webinars at www.hospicechaplaincy.com. I'm Sole Bem, and we continue our conversation with Janelle Benoska. Before the break, you were talking about the challenges of working in the death and dying industry. But what have you found rewarding about this work?
2: Really stepping into a place where you can fully be a part of one of the most impactful transitions that an individual can make and we're all gonna do it. Every one of us is going to die. And so to be someone who gets to serve in a capacity with something that is imminent and you know, a truth that can never be denied and in a space where it's very uncomfortable for a lot of people to be comfortable with it and to know that you've helped an individual die peacefully, or you've helped their family accept their loss, that you've helped honor their life through whatever they wanted in terms of life celebrations and things afterwards. I mean, rewards are boundless. It just, if you're someone who wants to serve and love people and you're comfortable with death and dying and you can see people as they are, and not try and Im- implant your own views or opinions. It's it's like nothing else. It's the most deeply rewarding thing I could ever imagine doing.
1: Yeah. So when you're making end of life preparations with a client, what activities or discussions have you found very helpful?
2: There are a lot of really great resources out there. One of them is called the five wishes, which is an end of life planning document that takes individuals through some very pointed questions. And that is, I bring that one up specifically because it's very palatable and it's very easy to understand, but many organizations, even death doulas have taken the basis of that. And expanded upon it. Um, But really, it's just about sitting down and going through the questions that someone would need to consider, not only from their own, how they want to envision their own good death, what's important to them, what they kind of environment they hope to be in, what their medical wishes are in terms of a, you know, do not resuscitate, do not intubate, at what point they would receive a diagnosis that they would wish to stop treatment. So a lot of those really exploratory investigative questions on that end. And then a lot of the questions on um, what do you want to happen to your stuff? Do you have all your passwords and things documented? So it can be very spiritual and a lot of subjective information. And then there's also very important detail objective information and it can be overwhelming for a lot of people so that's why starting with something like the five wishes and guiding them through some basic questions and then going from there uh to build upon that i think is really important to take them through
1: so if a family have hired you as their death doula to walk uh, to walk alongside a loved one who is dying mm-hmm. after your initial assessment um what is the next step what happens
2: what's more important to me is to sit with someone and get an understanding of where they are at because then i can identify the ways that i can support them so just to take it back to the to the first meeting if someone has hired me oftentimes it's because there's an area that they specifically know they need support maybe they have their will already figured out maybe they have you know, their, their um, medical wishes all figured out. But what they're more interested in is the spiritual side of things and having someone companion them as they shore up their fears about what's next. That can be, you know, a role that I serve. Conversely, I've served people who have that side of things very buttoned up. They are very strong in their faith They have no fears about what happens next. That's not the area in which they want to explore, but they need more support learning about all their different options in terms of the more objective side of things, the medical wishes, the postmortem care, things like that.
1: What are some of the misconceptions in your area of work?
2: I have to say, I got a little smile on my face when you first asked the question, because I think... The biggest misconception that I brush up against is that this is weird, that it's (laughs) that it's that it's woo woo. You know, people use that word all the time, that it's woo woo or that it's out there. (laughs) And it's really not. It's really not when you can enlist someone to support you through something that is so big to wrap your head around and has so many details in so many different areas, it's um, it's not weird or or woo-woo. It's like having a guide. Um, and I don't know everything, but I can help find the answers and connect you to the resources if there is something outside of my scope of ability.
1: Well, that will take a little break again. Our guest is Janelle Binoska. We'll be right back.
0: If someone you know is suffering from mental health issues and could use some support, please call the National Alliance for Mental Illness Helpline. It is a free nationwide peer support service, providing information, resource referrals, and support to people living with a mental health condition. To contact the NAMI Helpline, please call 1-800-950-NAMI. That's 1-800-950-6264. Monday through Friday, or send an email to info at nami.org.
1: I'm Sola and We continue our conversation with Janelle Benoska. Uh, when we talk about the death cafes, I see your eyes light up. How did that passion, that love begin for you?
0: Yeah,
2: I began attending death cafes. I have a dear friend who is a facilitator, and I was enlightened. By the experience of again sitting with strangers who were willing to bring a very vulnerable topic to the table and sit with one another in trust that everyone would be kind and respectful and, and accepting and nurturing and it it's a community like no other and we get different folks every time there are some people that return or stay with it for a while. And then there are people that come and go. So, but it's, it's always that hour and a half is always a community. So it started by attending. And then my friend very beautifully offered to me that she felt I would be a good facilitator. And I started facilitating. I'm very excited because the Plainfield Library is going to host one of my in-person cafes for the first time. So when we were talking about misconceptions and people may be thinking this is weird and it's death and who is this person who wants to come and talk about death, but the Plainfield Library has opened up their space in October for us to have an in-person death cafe. And I'm so excited to see it in print on the library catalog and see it on the library website because this is the way that more people can join the conversation.
1: Have you noticed an increase in societal awareness, at least in your area, since you're doing these opportunities of facilitation through death cafes?
2: Yeah, I feel like there is an expanding awareness happening. And I, I think that that's as much about, as I spoke earlier, about where we are at evolutionarily speaking in terms of looking at systems, where we are at in terms of moving beyond The binary of yes or no, this or that, and holding space for multiple truths. There's a lot of really amazing, interesting things happening right now. And I think that I am noticing an expansive mindset and also in the field of death and dying as it pertains to people being open to other choices and options that are maybe greener, more sustainable. So it's all, again, interconnected.
1: Is there a comfort level uh, in the area where you live that people reach out to you more or do you have to work hard uh, for people to, to use your services? I
2: love that you're asking that because there are many times where I think to myself, ah, if I just lived on the West Coast, this would be so much easier. If I just lived in a more progressive environment and that's not to discredit where I am. I, I love the community here but it is fewer and farther between. There is a lot of steeped in the traditional here. I think people that find me where I'm at now are generally people who are already exploring their spirituality as it pertains to their mortality. They're already exploring the final business of their death and dying. In other words, they're already on the path And maybe they've heard about a death doula and so they start to look and then they find me. Whereas I don't feel like the environment I'm at is something where it's very commonplace just yet.
1: Yeah. But at least you're there and you're making a difference. You know, it starts with just one light. All of a sudden people can know more about your services because I think what you bring to the table is something that hospice services might not even be able to provide you know as as a death doula so i think you bring a lot to the table
2: and when hospice first started they were doing a lot of this work hospice work was the was the you know initial death doula mindset sitting with a dying person companioning them being there for the family and now it's much more about medical intervention and and there's still a lot of that component but it has it's gotten limited because of the amount of people that need to be served because of the checks and balances so hospice very much plays a part and a role and an important role and that doulas can help to bridge the gap of the things that hospice used to provide but it's no longer able to
1: So what are your personal rituals that get you through the process?
2: My personal rituals well I do a lot of Meditating and breath work and just making sure I'm centered and grounded. I ground myself in nature a lot. I really need to feel connected to all that is around me because that reminds me that we are all connected and that everything is connected. I do a lot of journaling. One of my favorite rituals, though, is I I get the Herald News, the local Joliet Herald News. and I read, but if I'm going to read the paper, which I don't read it every day, but when I do pick it up every other day, every couple of days, if I'm going to read it, I am going to read every single obituary. I won't glaze over any of them. I will read every single obituary because every single obituary honors a life. And it reminds me that someone lived, that someone has passed, that their life had meaning and that there are people left behind who are grieving.
1: What are your final thoughts?
2: I'm just so grateful to have had this opportunity. You know, it's, it's a challenging thing to put words to because it's so heart focused. I could tell you how it feels. I can it, it really is a physical sensation to not only do this work, but to to mm. share this work and talk about this work. But sometimes that means it can be difficult to describe. So I'm grateful to you for allowing me the opportunity to, uh, to put it into words as best as I
1: could. Thank you for what you do.
2: Thank you so much.
1: Uh, thank you for listening. That was Janelle Benoska.
0: This show was brought to you by Hospice Chaplaincy, promoting excellence in spiritual care at the end of life. This episode was recorded at Audio Hive Podcasting in Julia, Illinois. You can find our podcast everywhere podcasts are available. If you enjoy listening to the show, please don't forget to give us your feedback by writing a review on iTunes. For more information, please visit www.hospicechaplaincy.com.